0: This episode of Pretty Much Pop is sponsored by Factor Meals. Get 50% off your first ready-to-eat meal box at factormeals.com slash pretty50 using code pretty50 at checkout. This is Pretty Much Pop, a culture podcast, not serious people. Today we're talking about Jesse Armstrong's prestige HBO dramedy Succession that premiered in 2018 and is currently the thing everyone is talking about as it has wrapped up. I'm Mark Linton-Meyer. Which of my co-hosts will I pass this podcast to upon my death? Or will I sell it to foreigners for $100? Speak up, you people, as to why you should run the podcast.
1: Al. Look, guys, I know what you're all going to say, but I just think it should be me. I just think it should be me. <laughs> I'm the most I'm the most credible. I've been there. I know what it's like from the inside. And, and you're a white just, man. You're a white man. You're a white man. man. Look, we are don't right. have to go there, Lawrence. We don't have to go there. It's just about optics, right? You know it's nothing about me. We're talking about what the world will accept. Sarah
2: Lynn. I think I deserve it because I'm a pain sponge.
1: Wow. Wow.
0: <laughs> I'm not comfortable with you expressing that. <laughs> Lawrence, why should you take over the podcast
3: I'm not going to take it over. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to sit down and look wistfully off into water. All right. We'll let the audience vote
0: on that. Hey, we're talking about succession. (laughs) I think the uh, parade of inside jokes means that we're going to spoil this immediately, and we're assuming that, I mean, I guess maybe for the first two minutes, one could listen as to why this is a big thing. Stop stop talking, stop talking,
3: stop talking right there. Listen, no one (laughs) who is listening to this has not Seen succession, like there's no reason for us to right. pretend have like you, people if you have haven't not
2: seen, seen succession, S- stop turn listening, this off, stop stop go listening. watch it and yes. then come back.
3: I'm gonna go another one forward.
1: I'm gonna add something to this. I don't think spoiling the end is important at all. I think the ending was one of the least interesting things about the show, and we can talk about that, but I don't think spoilers are important.
3: I completely in this disagree. Context. I can even <laughs> though Al gave me a wonderful compliment and said that I looked very nice on camera a few minutes ago, I completely disagree with him on that point. And I think that part of the fun of the show was trying to figure out who's going to get it and why do they deserve it. And The ending is an interesting twist on who they thought should. You're right that the most interesting part of the show isn't like the ending, but the ending is a significant part of the show.
1: To contrast with Game of Thrones, right? That was a similar thing all the way through Game of Thrones. Who's going to sit in the Iron Thrones assembly with succession? Like who's going to be the CEO? Like how are the family going to remain in charge or who's going to be Logan's successor? Whereas with Game of Thrones, it was like there was a solid answer brand and it was a really boring and underwhelming. Uh, finale with succession. I think you can just say if the spoiler is nobody gets to do it or or Tom gets to be the CEO spoiler alert. And that doesn't tell you anything important about how the last episode played out or how the arc. I
3: I think it does. No, I think it does, man. Sarah Lynn's whole thing about pain sponge. Like that says a lot about that show. So we'll talk about that when the time comes. I don't want to jump ahead. I don't want to jump the shark.
0: But yeah, I think this might be a, a good point to start with this schadenfreude. These are despicable characters, yet they're so well characterized and they're around so long that we actually have some stakes and identify and maybe rooting and things. But, you know, everybody's going to lose, basically,
3: that it is a parade of incompetence. The deal goes through and they end up with like billions of dollars. Is that losing? Mm-hmm.
2: I think if you phrase it, there's no winning. I don't think that there's winning in the show. I know that they end up with billions of dollars, but they're all terribly unhappy shells of people. I think the brilliant thing that Jesse Armstrong did with the show is that they made us as an audience relate to pretty unrelatable people.
1: I think we should talk more about that as well, too. Depends what we mean by relate. He did something interesting to those characters. I was thinking earlier today how impressive it is to go through four seasons of a TV show and have us be interested in, but not remotely affectionate for any of the main characters for the whole way through. But when you talk about relating...
2: There's a humanity there. I mean, who doesn't want unconditional love? You know, I mean, that just the legacy, the family relationship, wanting approval, that's all something that... Or at least I can speak for myself. I wanted that too from my parents. And fortunately, my parents were healthy, happy people and willing to give that. But that just seeing them denied some very basic human things is heartbreaking.
3: So this show is a show that is show run by a guy who is from the UK. Yet it is a show that is centered. Jesse Armstrong. Yet it is centered Deeply in America and American politics and American media. It's an interesting look at America through a foreigner's eyes. So I'm very interested in what Al has to say about this show mm-hmm. because of just yeah, me too. the show running of it and like what's going on there. I kind of disagree with Al because I didn't like the people. Al, I promise to God, I love you, dude. I promise to you, <laughs> even though I'm disagreeing with you a lot today, though I did not have affection for them. When Logan died, spoiler alert, I was emotional about it. Like, it really hit me. And maybe it's because it's playing on something I've experienced. Like, not the loss of a parent, but like a loss of a loved one. And like, just the shocking nature of it. Like, Logan was very vital in going through life and doing business deals. One second, the credits hit. And then the next second, dude's gone. He's just dead, right? It was very shocking. And so, though I did not sympathize with them i empathize with them i think like I, yeah i i really felt their pain in that moment and the fact that they hated this guy but loved him and it was a very interesting dynamic there there's a lot going on in this show that i'm very interested to kind of get into
1: there were several really standout episodes and i think one of them maybe my favorite was the funeral where they really made that explicit like what is the appropriate way to feel about a man like Logan Roy or Rupert Murdoch, it did make me emotional. But I think because I was conflicted, because I didn't come out of it feeling like I liked the man any better. I think after Kendall's eulogy, I felt like I understood why Logan Roy might be due respect. But that was about as far as I think I could get for him.
3: I don't think I liked him, but I will say that after he died and seeing what happened in his wake and how the kids. Really messed things up. I respected him. I don't know if I liked him. Like is a strong word. I don't know how it's supposed to like him, but I appreciated the way he did business. I appreciate the way that he was. And I appreciated the fact that to do this kind of business, you kind of have to be a sociopath. Like you cannot be empathetic. You cannot have normal feelings. And what we see is the byproduct of being successful means that you oftentimes have children who turn out like this. That because you're so singularly focused on being successful in the business world, you oftentimes really mess up your children, as he did. And I think the Murdochs are messed up as well.
2: Yeah. You know, no matter what you think of the product, right? He created something incredibly powerful and potent and culture-changing, right? Mm-hmm. He did. That actually affects all of us, depressingly. But he created that. He is a creator where his kids are not. They are Nepo babies, basically, right? That's messed them up. The fact that they don't create anything of their own has made them, and they're all broken people, but that specifically, I think, has screwed up those kids is that they can't create anything on their own. You know, he says, I think, at the last episode of season three, he says, go make your own pile. And it's like, they don't know how they haven't. And of course he
3: says they're not serious people.
2: Right? Mm -hmm. Because they're not. They're very much not.
0: (laughs) So when you were saying, Lawrence, about putting this, this is the view of an Englishman on everything. Well, one, I mean, this is maybe one of the first shows that's like honest to goodness, as good as a novel in terms of the development of characters, right? I just did a thing on Dostoevsky's The Brothers Karamazov and it's sort of known for exploring points of view and you know the fact that he was very religious and had an agenda uh, Dostoevsky did but then put in the mouths of some of the characters these very well thought out arguments about atheism and things like this I think we get in that funeral scene a pretty great example of that that this is not one person's view of America this is this novelist entering the heads of these different people The other thing I would add to that is from listening to like the succession podcast and looking at some of the things surrounding this is it was very well researched in its details, like a good novelist would do such that they would have consultants who were in the business world, who are in the TV world who would, you know, be able to say how would these characters actually address each other? It's not one genius writer spinning things out. I guess one thing to add to that, like this last season I was not as affected by the actual death of Logan Roy, but those last three episodes were written by Jesse Armstrong, and I think that made a lot of difference. Maybe it was just my getting back into it, that when season four, episode one came out, I'm like, are we still doing this? I am no longer emotionally... you know. Maybe it just took me some time to get rolling, but I really felt like, and this seemed to be the consensus, that it's those last three or four episodes that lit the fire and made this whole thing stick the landing, whereas... I'm not sure about the rest of the season. Maybe I should rewatch it.
2: Yeah, that election episode was traumatizing. (laughs) I don't think I ever want to see that episode again. That for me was an incredibly effective. You know, you can talk about great shows like Breaking Bad who have unlikable characters, but for some reason, that world just felt contained. And that was such a wake-up call at how people like the Murdochs have control over... Our narrative. The whole thing about America decides is a total lie.
3: Man, there's a lot of good episodes this season. (laughs) We probably should have been doing a week to week podcast over this show. The election episode was really, really good. I think it was the best post Trump examination of what that night was like. Um, I had PTSD watching the episode because I remember when Trump was elected. And like the next day we were all, well, I was devastated. I mean, I don't know what Mark was feeling, but I was devastated. I couldn't. What do believe, you think? Right. I don't know what you were feeling, man. You might be, you know, a Fox News guy. Oh, but right. yeah, I okay. was. <laughs> OK, Mark, I know you're not. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know you're not. But I was devastated. I was emotional. I remember I did, I think, a radio spot the next day about something. I don't remember what it was. And I got on the radio and I was like crying and I was very emotional. I wasn't able to able to talk about what I was supposed to be talking about because I could not believe that the country had elected that guy with his America first KKK slogan. Right. I mean, that goes all the way back to KKK. And I I just didn't believe it. And so that episode, it on the one hand took me back to that moment, but it also gave you a little bit of an insight to at least that world. About who made the decision and why they made the decision and what was fueling them, which I don't know if that was what happened in the real world, but it was an interesting analysis. And I think that it was certainly a very British view of what happened and saying, you know, you guys are all full of crap, and and you guys are not something that we should be taking seriously. And you guys are allowing people who are in power to make decisions for you when you think that you're making the decisions yourself. It's a very fascinating episode. It's a very good episode. And it was a very emotionally
1: devastating episode. I mean, that's really interesting because Noam Chomsky wrote "Manufacturing Consent" when, like, the early nineties. Uh, yeah, probably. So none of this is really interesting for me to hear you guys speak <laughs> about this as a as like as a revelation. Oh
3: my gosh, this guy—he's such because, a British guy. Okay, go ahead, go for it. Go for it. You're right. You're because, right. Go well, for like,
1: so bit, like, speaking of like the US, like the the British view if you like on the role of american media and american politics there's nothing in there that's surprised like when i watched the west wing that was like this is a fantasy because all the journalists in in the media are like only after the truth all the politicians only after like good policy the kind of cynical take that we saw in succession is far closer to just what seems to be the most likely structural reality given the kinds of politics that we end up with. So yeah, it was kind of brutal and cynical, but seemed to me very honest. It takes a cue, I think, from the way that we in the UK are used to seeing our political and media institutions portrayed on TV as well. So the thick of it is the obvious example which turned into Veep in the US and Veep is like slightly less biting than the thick of it was.
3: Wasn't Jesse Armstrong involved in in, in Think of It? Wasn't involved in Think of It,
1: but but it was the same kind of crop of TV writers as well. I I can't remember for sure. I think it might have been his co-writer on Peep Show who also went to work on. on
2: He wrote an episode of Veep, I think. What I like about Succession, too, is that it's not just uh, pointing the finger at Nazi extremists. He's also not particularly kind to limousine liberals either. I mean, the whole Pierce family was actually their depiction was kind of hilarious.
1: And Shiv's character is the real She's uh, a neoliberal. Yeah. Dude, that's neoliberalism yeah. in a in a nutshell right there. She's the real satire on like powerful political liberals. And what was her quote in the was it in the last episode? Or it was like, I'm flex. my dad, my father was flexible, I'm flexible. And the big lesson of the show, or one of the big lessons of the show, seemed to me that like once you are in that kind of position of having accrued that much power and wealth, ideology really becomes unimportant to you. Your actions are only ever going to be determined by how to maintain and grow the power base and the wealth base that you already have. Nobody in the show was able to get out of that.
2: Yeah, which is why most, or pretty much all, big corporations dump money on both sides.
1: But even up to Logan right? Once Logan had got himself the position of being as rich and powerful as he is, we very early find out that the only way that he is able to maintain that position of power is to do insane deals with a bank, which locks him into his own way of doing things. So even Logan hasn't got the power to change the way he does things, even if he wanted to.
0: A couple things. So 1988 was the book you were referring to. In the Loop is the Jesse Armstrong movie that also stars Peter Capaldi that I watched the beginning of in preparation for this. But then just decided to watch more succession. But yes, Jesse Armstrong was one of the writers on that. I sort of feel like as amazing as the election episode was, it was sort of a distraction. It was a really interesting distraction. I really liked when they would actually say something about media because most of the time it could be any sort of corporation at all that they were dealing with. It was so focused on the boardroom and the corporate raiders and who's going to take control as opposed to the few things that they actually did like in the parks. Or like in the parks training program. Like that was interesting. This couple of episodes are the only time we actually see into the news channel. And I would have loved to have seen more. There's a little bit of bitching about, you know, Roman was in the film's channel and had pitched something that got rejected. And then he ends up being able to fire the head of the, the film. But none of that was explored. And it would have been a very fascinating thing to see a very familiar world through many other media, but through that lens. But ultimately, you know, this had to just go back to the characters. It was just all about the characters and their interpersonal dynamics. And so you only got to see the parks insofar it was Roman or somebody else that was spending a little time at the parks or, you know, having to deal with administrative stuff at the parks. There was no real care about other than like accuracy, like I was saying, about the internal workings of these things and what they might say about us. If we're going to have a a thematic spinoff, I would say... Give us more. There's probably an, a show that you have in mind. There's certainly been things about news channels, but you know other aspects of this entertainment world from an executive perspective.
2: I thought that was also an episode where we really see what Tom is made of. We already knew... Going in about Tom, but the way that he forced Greg to fire all of those workers and how he was kind of laughing at them behind their backs, and how he is a true, you know, he calls himself a grinder and he is. He is absolutely, you know, the last one at the office. He's the one who is working the hardest. And we see who Shiv is, you know, we see how she, when her secret that she's been working with Matson this whole time is reveal who she is. That episode was so good, but actually I, I just thought the entire 4th season was just excellent. I just thought this was it was a great way to end this this incredible show.
1: Can we talk about the children's names for a second? Here's what I got from each of them. Kendall, plastic doll made to kind of look like his dad. Roman, like psychopathic patricide intent kind of figure or doesn't know, <laughs> doesn't know whether he wants to murder or or marry his father. And Shiv, improvised pointed weapon that Will stab you when you least expect it. That's what I got from.
2: How about Connor? Connor was a nothing burger. He was a big nothing burger. Self self
1: deluded comic relief (laughs) for the most part. Why we call him Connor? Con artist maybe.
3: (laughs) He (laughs) really wasn't that prominently (laughs) featured in the fourth season. It made me wonder if there was like scheduling issues or something like that, because he wasn't that big of a factor in the fourth season. and wasn't that big of a factor in the last episode either. I was kind of wondering what was up with that. There was some cutting,
0: I understand, of him. You know, the fact that he got to inherit the apartment. And so there was a little bit of acknowledgement of that. And from hearing an interview, there was additional footage of him sort of wandering around this empty place and reflecting on his dad or whatever. We were at least interested in him and his wife's inner struggles. Despite all this... Time that's really just devoted to that. There's still limited screen time, and you have to pay attention to who seems most salient to the plot.
3: Although I will say, it seemed like Tom, not Tom, it seemed like Connor's personal life turned out the best of all of them. He married Willa. It's a weird marriage. It's kind of a transactional marriage, a business marriage, but I think that's okay. I mean, he can get his sexual needs met somewhere else if he needs to. He's a billionaire. And they're going to be married and they're not going to stay together. They're going to be across and look like nations. Compare that to what happened to Kendall's life. Kendall's personal life, he's a wreck by the time this is over. Roman, I don't know what's going on with that guy. The marriage that Tom and Shiv have, it's a show marriage. It's a really strange relationship. Out of all of them, Connor is the one who actually turned out the best.
2: So you mentioned the transactional relationship, which it is. I wondered if, when you have that much wealth, if all of your emotional relationships become transactional in some way, I wanted to kind of float that. I was sort of thinking about that and how Connor, ironically, Willow was an escort, right? I mean, <laughs> and they seem to have the happiest relationship out of the entire bunch. And I have maybe the most hope for them, even though it sounds like. After two weeks of marriage, they, won't be, they may be having a long-distance relationship. But does everything become transactional when you're that wealthy?
3: I mean, Mark would know this. He's the only person who's wealthy like that among the four of us. He has to pay us all to be here, so yeah. I think
1: you've hit on definitely one of the big themes of the show, Sarah Lynn, which is that having a family business and a business family in the way that the Roy's are makes a traditional family Im- impossible. Like traditional family relationships impossible because I love the way you said it. Because everything has to be transactional. Because having a closer relationship with a member of your family or a more distant relationship with a member of your family puts you either closer to or further from a source of more money and power. So you have to think about that every time you're talking to. And the point of a family, I would imagine, is what you said right at the beginning, Sarah Lynn. is that unconditional love, and you can't have unconditional love when the object of your love puts you always further or closer to or further from a source of of money and wealth. And that seems to be what, what all of the dysfunction in the Roy family stems from. There cannot be any unconditional love there because there are always strings attached. And I wonder if, just getting back to Connor and Willa, I was kind of grimacing a bit when you were talking about them as having like the happiest relationship because there was a period in the, the first and second series where Willow was seriously thinking like, is this what I'm going to do with myself? Am I going to sell my entire, my entire self just for financial security? But she does seem happier towards the end. Like when she's failed as a playwright, and she realizes that she doesn't have any better financial options. And the thing that she gives up on is love. And that's what makes her
3: happy. I'm not saying it's a great relationship, but out of the three of them, it, well, out of the four of them, it is the closest thing to a working relationship. They're going to cheat on each other. They're not going to be faithful to each other. They're not going to see each other that often. But out of the four of them, it is the best of the four, without a doubt. I want to stop and
0: tell you about Factor Meals. America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit can help you fuel up fast with flavorful and nutritious ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You will save time, you'll eat well, and you'll stay on track reaching your goals. It is summer, which hopefully means sunny, active days. But in my case, that means I'm too busy with summer plans to cook. The cost of just ordering from restaurants all the time really adds up. And I want to make sure I'm eating sensibly. Factory meals are fresh, never frozen, and they're ready in just two minutes. If you go the microwave route or if you want to use conventional oven, it's just about seven minutes after preheating. But you don't have to go to the grocery store. You don't have to chop and prep and clean up all the cooking stuff afterward. I recently enjoyed their three-bean chili, their broccoli and kale alfredo cavatappi and their vegetable ratatouille. All of these are part of the calorie smart plan, which means 550 calories or less per serving. And the serving sizes are good. It's not like those packages where uh, it's unrealistic. As you might have noticed, I had also chose veggie options, but you don't have to. You can get keto, vegan plus, protein plus, whatever fits your goals. Every week they have 34 or more chef prepared, dietitian approved delicious weekly options, and more than 45 add-ons like breakfast options. They sent me some great smoothies. Everything uses premium ingredients and sustainable, sustainably sourced seafood. Factor offsets 100% of delivery emissions to your door, and they source 100% renewable electricity for the production sites. So get Factor and enjoy eating well without the hassle. Head to factormeals.com slash pretty50 and use the code pretty50 to get 50% off your first box. That's code pretty50 at factormeals.com slash pretty50 to get 50% off your first box. We're excited to feature a really funny podcast perfect for anyone who hates censorship called Bandcamp, B-A-N-N-E-D, hosted by the hilarious duo of Jennifer and Dan. Bandcamp is a comedy podcast where they read banned books and try to figure out why they were banned in the first place. This season, they're reading Harper Lee's classic To Kill a Mockingbird, one chapter at a time, out loud. If you think banning books is a slippery slope towards a not-so-great future, then Bandcamp is definitely the podcast for you. Whether you're like Jennifer and curious to read the book for the first time, or like Dan and a little too lazy to read it yourself, you'll love Bandcamp. It's a funny show and a great concept. So don't miss out on this one-of-a-kind podcast. Look for Camp. That's banned with two ends on your favorite podcast player and subscribe today. Let's get banned together.
2: What do you think of Tom and Shiv at the end? Do you think that there's any hope for them?
1: I mean, they're going to remain
3: married, but I don't. I don't know how good that marriage is going to be. Go ahead, Al.
1: The thing that broke my heart maybe the most in that last episode was the closing shot that we saw of the way that they were holding hands in the limousine and like Tom's open hand and Shiv like barely grazing his palm. It was like he
3: was holding hands with the corpse. It was so terrible. They're not going to be okay. But they're going to be married and they're going to be be married probably for a long time, at least until the kid is 10 years old, 18 years old. I mean, they're going to be married for a while. Yeah, they're about to be
2: parents.
3: Yeah it's such a loveless they have done really bad thing to each other and and i think that it's interesting that the entire show kind of centers on their relationship in a way like that's kind of been the through line through the entire show she's been very terrible to him he has in response to her been very bad to her and i have no hope for that to be a working relationship in any kind of way. they're, they're going to be married they're going to change diapers provide for the kid that kind of stuff but as far as a love relationship between the two of them, even though they've had some gentle moments this season, I have no faith that they're going to be able to kind of, because when they had that balcony scene out there, they said some vicious things to each other. And I don't know how you come back from that.
2: I don't know that they'll be changing diapers together, but if I'm going to pin my hopes on any of those characters, actually Shiv was one I thought there was a chance there because She showed, remember during that phone call when she asked if there was anything that they could salvage from their relationship. That was the first time that she showed real vulnerability. She was asking for what she wanted, which was a chance at a real marriage. And I think the fact that she's pregnant forces her to consider an identity that doesn't have anything to do with taking over the CEO position. It's the fact that she's about to be a mother means that she has to think about herself outside of the legacy of her father's business.
3: I completely disagreed. I thought she was a vile character. I did not like her at all. She was really bad to her husband. And then has the audacity, after all the shit she put him through to be like, can we have a real relationship? Fuck, well, no, we can't have a real relationship after all the things that you did to me. Yeah, she is the least sympathetic to me. And maybe I have so much vitriol for her because she is supposed to be a, a liberal. And she just completely shows herself to have no principles. Listen, Roman is an evil dude, but at least he like he's consistent. I would not like him. <laughs> we don't agree politically at all. Clearly, he's really kind of messed up, but he's consistent. She's all over the place, right? She is a liberal, she's a liberal kind of consultant. And then she kind of, because her family is one way, she swings over to the way the family goes, but then she's very emotionally upset about what happens to the election. But then she goes along with it. I I am very upset with Shiv. I don't like her at all.
2: I don't like her either. I'm just thinking in terms of after the story is done, you know, I think about what are they up to now? I wonder if she has the most chance at, a somewhat normal existence, whereas Kendall is forever lost since his dad told him what he was going to be when he grew up when he was seven, which is a horrible thing to do to a child. Roman, I think, is lost. And I don't know. I think that there is possible hope for Shiv.
1: I disagree with both. I think that if we're thinking about like how they're going to get on in the future, I think Shiv has got the worst outlook because she has the most ties to everything that was poisoned and broken. She's still married to Tom. She's still connected to the, the business through him. And she has a, a kid like Cameron's got his whole, I'm sorry. I kept calling him Cameron because it's Alan Ruck and because, uh, mm, and because, yeah, 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 yeah. And, yeah, 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 and, because, Bueller's Bueller's and I just, couldn't, yeah, and yeah. I couldn't in my head get over the headcanon that Logan Roy was, uh, Cameron's <laughs> yeah. rich dad who, the, who, who owned the car in, uh, in Paris Bielor's day off, but just anyway, that out of the way. Another damaged kid. <laughs> Roman was just an, I thought the same thing <laughs> though. Ro, Roman was just a nihilist because that's the only way he could deal with like being himself. And I think he's actually got a good chance at just being a guy. And I thought the explicit metaphor in Ken's last scene when he's like looking over the river very, very closely and we're all like, is he going to jump into it? No, he doesn't. He comes and sits down at the bench and just looks at the whole. Vista, which seems to be implying to me like, no, I can actually do anything. I've actually got the whole world now. That is not at all the way I read that. But go ahead. Everyone but Shiv is free.
0: Either this is or this should be a meditation on the personal versus the professional. That at any point, these people can just say, I already have a lot of money. I don't need to do this thing. We sort of see that in, is Connor going to stay in the presidential run? Because there really is. It's such a, a fool's hope that he would get his professional goal. It's such an unrealistic thing, but it's not really that much more unrealistic for these bozos, these other bozos to think that they can and should be the head of one of the biggest corporations in the world. And this is what Romans, you know, we're all bullshit at the end is him very quickly flipping a switch. You know, yes, he wanted it. Yes. He, in fact, personally felt he deserved it. Look at these scars on my face. I'm actually cool enough. It could work. I could pull this off. I could do the performance. But then once it's clear that it it is not going to happen, then he can just not be happy about it. But like, yeah, this was a a fool's hope. This was bullshit. We can just be people. The problem that is, he's got nothing left as a person. (laughs) And though it seems like Kendall should be able to go apologize to his ex-wife, have some relationship with his kids. That's the thing that we hope will happen next. From the interviews with the actor, he felt like... No, in fact one of the takes was like that he starts to climb over the railing. He felt like that he should have killed himself right then. And the writers disagree. The director didn't like that was not the take that ended up being put down there. And so of course when you have a romantic relationship that is befouled by all this professional stuff, that is the keenest place of it, but it did make me actually think like we've done a lot of scheming, but there's a still a love there. Maybe that still has its own problems, its own personal problems, because she has the emotional maturity of a 12-year-old. But (laughs) you know, there might be something that could, some couples therapy, do some work there. But
2: she, I mean, and I'm not saying I'm doubling down on, on Shiv, even though it really sounds like I am. But she has the most potential, I think, for a purpose in her life. Whereas I don't see Kendall's purpose is futile and it's gone. And I don't see Roman as having much of a purpose, but I feel like because she is about to be a mother, there's something there. There's something that she can hang her hat on that her siblings just don't have.
1: Wasn't one of the tragedies of the whole show that all of these people, all of the kids, none of whom are... Idiots. None of them are up to their dad, but none of them are idiots. They're still, they're all like capable people. Wasn't one of the tragedies of the show that they never had an opportunity to define their own goals for themselves? And that isn't like Shiv now has a family life and maybe she'll be great at it. But again, isn't that robbing her of the opportunity to decide for herself what she wants to be? Although I guess she already had that opportunity by becoming a political operator and deciding that that was what she was going to do.
2: I felt like, and she's also a character that kind of fought the most against what the outside was telling her to be. Whereas Kendall was fully in, Roman always felt like he was out from the very beginning and then just kind of went with that um, until his dad showed him just a smidge of affection or abuse. He was into either one. And it's not as if she wasn't allowing her father to define her future for her, too. But she seemed the most likely to go her own way. And I don't know that she will. Your point, Al, about the fact that she is now the CEO's wife of the company that her father built is not great either.
3: I will say that the image of motherhood in this show is a really interesting one, of course, motherhood is, it's a fraught one. I mean, so Caroline, who is her mother played by the great British actress, Harriet, Dame Harriet, what's her name? Walter. She was a bad mother to Shiv and communicated to Shiv a lot of bad information about how to be a mother and how to, and modeled bad motherhood for her. And so I think that part of Shiv's like deal is that she kind of doesn't know how to be a mother. She's trying to figure out how to be a mother. And she is working off of a really bad model, one that really jacked her up and jacked up her brothers. I don't think that because Shiv is going to be this mother, what models does she have? Like, what has she seen as far as motherhood? What does motherhood hold for her moving forward other than like a gilded cage and frustration? I do think that Al might be right that Roman's free, Kindles free. He's right about that. Now, how broken they are and what they do with their lives, I don't know. But they they are free. They can kind of, they have a lot of money. They can do whatever they want to do. Shiv is tied. Like, she's tied to it. She has a kid. She's married to the guy. And I think that that is going to be her undoing. I don't feel at all that she's going to be able to kind of ride off into the sunset and have even a remotely decent ending. I think that it's just another cycle in this really vicious cycle that we've already kind of seen. Mm Mm-hmm.
2: I just wonder if she would, just as, you know, her own mother told Shiv that she shouldn't be a mom. <laughs> I think she told her that during her wedding and that's, last that's season. That's cold-blooded.
3: That is harsh. Her man. own yeah. husband
2: did the same thing. And I just wonder if the contrarian in Shiv would make her not be like that. I don't know that she's going to be mother of the year or anything, but I just wonder if that would be something that she would, again, just kind of she would fight against that. Fight against that identity that other people are foisting on her.
1: Or will she? I don't know. I think there's, there's a huge part of Shiv that has always felt that she should be standing at the podium in the White House press room and that that was her destiny. And I think there's just a whole bunch, there's just going to be resentment there forever at everyone who conspired to take that away from her, which is her entire family.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I mean, there's no reason that she or other folks couldn't obtain... They have this experience. They're not going down in history as epic failures in the way that the audience has seen them, such that if you want to be the press secretary to the show's evil version of Trump, you could probably get that job if you're, if you're in her position, if she actually wants to do that. They could still launch the 100. <laughs> <laughs> that was such a
3: terrible yeah. idea that was well, so what, about,
2: what about the pierce deal like what happened
3: with that I, I don't even know what to what to think about that because that deal went through and like it just kind of went away i don't know if that's like sloppy writing on their part if there's more to it there they made that deal it was a kind of a centerpiece of the entire episode and then it just like vaporized did that just add people to the board you know so that ultimately you know you're putting pieces
0: on from the first season that we added Stewie or Stevie or whatever his name is to the, they now own a stake, and we're going to Sandy and Sandy, you know, whatever these people are. There's more and more people making the decision that if there hadn't been these intermediate steps of getting these
1: other people involved who would want the kids not in charge, then the they could have stayed in charge. Wasn't what made Pierce and interest the Pierce deal an important part of the show, just the fact that Logan wanted it? We've said a few things in this conversation about like how odd it is, how oddly incidental so much of the the actual facts about the business that these people are running seems to play into the drama. Like there's not enough made of the fact that it's a, a media empire, there's not much made of the fact that it's like cruise ships or whatever else. We don't get to see much of the, the actual running. But isn't that because it's deliberately incidental? Part of what the show I think is trying to highlight is I guess the absurdity of how little what the business is, has to do with the way the business is conducted. And in the show's telling, that is all just about the wants and needs and hangups of the powerful people who are sitting at the top of the table.
0: It does matter right from the beginning. And so I I rewatched the first three or four episodes of the first season. So much of what happened in the finale is right there in the first episode. Like this whole thing could have been one season long and still basically told the story. It's just we wouldn't care as much about these
1: people i wish they had kept the subplot of roman's sexual dysfunction because what i would have really liked as an end to his character arc is once he is free of the company once and for all just to see him happily fucking someone in a hotel room <laughs> wow <laughs> and then you know the roman's gonna be okay
2: is there anybody else but jerry for a roman
1: well i mean for that you know that wasn't particularly healthy but maybe he just has to go back to jerry no, he's not going to go back. Did,
3: did you not see the way he reacted when he saw it? There is no way they're they're getting back together. And it was a weird relationship. Well, first of all, this is a, a remarkably unsexy show, though there's a lot of sex happening in the periphery. And, and I don't know if that's a British thing. I, I don't know what's going on there because... I, I think there's a really good point,
1: And my suggestion would be that Jesse Armstrong went to enormous lengths not to glamorize the lifestyles of these people.
2: But it's partly, too, because you also don't see them eat. You don't see them doing anything fun, anything enjoyable, right? Is that true? Yes. Are you sure. Remember in, uh I think it was the first. I remember a whole bunch of, like, sitting down at tables. Are, are they never eat? They rarely eat. Often they drink. They do eat sometimes. But even when they do eat, they eat these weird, like, I don't know. Didn't they have something with gold flakes in it? Like, just stuff like that
1: but you always see close ups of the food and you always whenever there's a dining room you're that the camera always lingers on like the opulence of what's in front of them
3: but you never see anyone actually eat or enjoy any of it that's really interesting that is a closer reading i have never noticed that i never noticed that
2: even when they go and they'll have a meeting and there will be a full table of like beautiful pastries and stuff and things like that the kids don't touch it and when they do eat like when um God nuts to Hugo, when they were at the big meeting, the Gojo meeting, and Hugo had like a plateful and they made him feel like garbage because he was enjoying himself. (laughs) Like there's no enjoying yourself. There's no sex. There's no food, alcohol. You know, sometimes you'll see like Jerry sipping on a martini or something. And it's like, it's very rare that you see anybody, you know, enjoying something carnal like that.
0: I think for the final loop of this discussion, we need to talk about the conversation that this has been one of the few shows that invites this sort of analysis. I can't think of another show even that we've talked about that we've been so concerned about. What do you think Rocky and Adrian's, you know, let's talk about the beats of their relationship. know. Just not. I mean, I care a great
3: deal about Rocky and Adrian, but you don't care, but that's fine.
0: What's the relation between Michael Myers and the cult? Let's talk about.
3: I have a great relationship. I I care a great deal about. Again, I care a great deal about the man in black and his relationship with Michael Myers. You don't care about that. It's fine. It's fine. It's
0: fine. So, (laughs) we've talked about how you spend enough time with these people that even though they're all despicable, you identify with them. I feel like Greg, you know, was was put on into the show as this is the audience's point of view into this weird place. But I think they went through links so that you do not continue to identify with him, that he just becomes this oddball, interesting plot device, you know, that he still has Climber. his charming incompetence. But yes, he's too corrupted by what's going on to actually be an audience so it retains a certain balance. He could easily have sort of become the moral center or this, you know even the plot center of the show as opposed to wanting to spend so much time in freaking
2: Kendall's head. He failed upward. <laughs> that was what Greg did.
1: There's just no escape. I think Greg's a really, really good because you get to see him wrestle with it at points, but then there's just really, he does have no option. He serves two really interesting functions for the audience, I think. The first is as a warning to let yourself sympathize too closely with it, to let yourself get emotionally close to the family because he shows you what happens if you do. And second is just to just demonstrate that there is no being a moral hero in that kind of context, in that kind of socioeconomic context it makes everybody a villain, which has got to be one of the main points of, of the show. There's no
3: being a good guy if you've got that much money in power. Getting back to what Mark was getting at. All right. So Succession was the big show of now. The last big show like this was what? Game of Thrones? Was that the last one? Yeah, but that didn't have as
1: much interesting stuff.
0: I mean, we're going to talk about Ted Lasso next time, and there's almost as much discussing around that. So
3: Ted Lasso? Okay, so people like Ted Lasso, but it's not a oh. monocultural show. It's not a show that everybody's kind of bought in on, like Succession, like Game of Thrones. Breaking Bad was that way. Mad Men was that way. Sopranos was that way. the wire well the wire is that way now it wasn't that way when it came out like when the wire was out it was not as widely watched I think that that this may be the last okay I'm hesitant to say the last because I said that with Game of Thrones then I was wrong because the session came along but this is a vestige of a bygone era where HBO made a show that everybody felt they needed to watch this was not as big as Game of Thrones, but still it spawned a million podcasts and everybody was talking about it. It was dissected to death, even though it only had four seasons. So I think that HBO is really good at kind of noticing these shows and cultivating these shows. What's this? I, I still haven't watched it. It's the show that takes place on the island. Someone dies. Um, lost, lost. No, no, it's HBO <laughs> that was show. That's a huge show. Uh, it's HBO show. It's like white people. They go to islands. People die. Audrey oh, Plaza yeah. was on it. uh Wild oh, or White, it Lotus. white, white Lotus, Lotus. White Lotus. Oh, white Lotus, yeah. Lotus. Okay. Like, like that's kind of similar to this. Like, I, I don't love that. Like, I never watched that. But that seems like that's kind of a little bit of a monocultural show. But I just think that this is one of those rare things where everyone was watching it. Everyone was talking about it. And everyone had opinions on it. And I I don't know what it is about this show that kind of inspired people to kind of analyze it to death like this and to really kind of get invested in the characters. I mean, it is well written. It is very well acted. I don't know if Jeremy Strong will ever get another job because of how kind of indelible this Kindle character is. Um and we're having this argument about why Sarah is wrong about Shiv and why, <laughs> you know, like, I have, I have no idea. I have no idea why this show inspired so much kind of passion. I have no idea why. And, 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 and I look at myself in the mirror and, like, there's, like, what, maybe two Black characters on the show? Like, maybe two? lay Latham and maybe someone I'm missing. And, like, this show is, is a lily white show. I think it's a show about whiteness. I'm not going to get you deep into that, though. It's a lily white show. It's not embracing to me is not about me, but I am fucking invested in it. I don't know why this show has broken through the way that it did.
2: I think, though, that, Mark, you said it at the top, that this is a very literary piece, even though it's we're, it's a television show. It is very literally. But people don't read. But people don't read, But though. it's something that we've been arguing about multiple interpretations, about character motivations, about what the themes are. I mean, to have a thematic... A multiple thematic conversation about a television show is really special. And this is a show that isn't based on IP that's already out there. This is an original program. That's really special. I hope that this is not the last that we see of of something like this. I I don't think so, actually. I I don't think it is. But this is the value of original programming, in, in my opinion.
1: What's really remarkable about this show is that anything else in its class, the the kind of shows that Lawrence was talking about just then, there's Lost, Game of Thrones, Breaking Bad. They've all got a really big, like, juicy hook to pull you into. Like, there's crazy stuff happening. There's, like, drug deals, explosions, dragons, whatever else. This is just a family drama. Is literary in that it is just a family drama. You know, you might go into it with... Some I want to like feel feelings about how super rich people live. Maybe that's the, the, the lead-in. But ultimately, it's just a character-driven family story. And I honestly have no idea either about why it's managed to get its hooks into so many people other than that it's just incredibly compelling and the, char- the characters are fantastically well-drawn. I hope it leads to much more like it.
0: One reality check here, just searching for sort of what are the top watch tv shows of this last year anything premium that's not house of the dragon was not even in the top 100 and house of the dragon was number 81 so networks still get a lot more yellowstone
3: i mean but no one's doing podcasts about like law and order and fbi fucking miami nobody cares about like no one talks about that see like, so, so, like, those kind of shows, of course, they're going to have more viewership. I, I, what what was that one comedy we were talking about, Night Court? Like, no one's doing podcasts about that kind of stuff. Like, so the kind of shows that I'm talking about are the ones that kind of engender this kind of conversation. Like, so so not those trash shows that Mark is talking about, but Game of Thrones. Like, so um, House of the Dragons would be this kind of show. Uh, but, I mean, Ted Lasso would be this kind of show. But, but, it but it's funny often. that, you
0: know, prestige dramas... Yellowstone, like, is another one that, and that just happens to be because of its distribution net form. Right. So much larger reach.
3: It's crazily. Does Netflix release VM figures? Do we get VM figures for streaming only? We need to have a conversation about Yellowstone, by the way. Like, what the hell's going on with Kevin Costner? Is that dude gone? Anyway, we can talk about that later. Let's let's
0: talk about that in the supporter audio here. I've got to watch
3: three seasons of Ted Lasso in a week. Let's (laughs) Yellowstone (laughs) for a while. But I think it's interesting
2: that you've got another prestige show that had its series finale right after succession on the same barry, network I have
3: so many thoughts and about people, Barry.
2: no i know me too and i love that show but people are not talking about it in the same way that we so are weird. all obsessed. like
3: what are they doing like barry ended barry started off with a bang and it's it's ending interestingly it's a really good ending but it's so strange like succession was a little, a little more consistent
2: yeah, but we're not talking about that. We're talking we're not, about we're succession talking about instead we're, we're because not. it's so meaty. There's just so much there. I think I feel like we could talk about it for another two hours. You know, there's just so much to that show.
0: Yeah, the thing we haven't really talked about here is the way that comedy is leafed in here. And that would be where maybe a separate discussion about Barry and more about this show and it's you know, the comedy where it is comedy in the world of prestige TV,
3: that it seems like It is just a little comic relief, (laughs) but this is a comedy, and this is one of the funniest shows on television. I think Succession is very funny, but I do think that this is more of a dramedy than a straight up comedy. Where, and I think Barry is a dramedy as well. Ted Lasso is is more of a comedy than a dramedy, but I I do think that Succession did like they did a really good balancing act of like the heavy emotional stuff, while at the same time being hella funny. Like, I mean, there were many laugh out loud moments. In just the finale of Succession, I thought it was a very funny show. It's all very black, the very bitter. It is a black comedy. It is a black mm-hmm. comedy. Well, very black, very
1: very bitter comedy, and I think that's really that's really interesting.
0: All right, well, thanks, folks, for listening. Thanks to you three for for coming and adding one more hour to this uh, show that has engendered so many other hours on the internet of talking, <laughs> and now we're a part of it.
3: We're, it's it's
2: almost like we're
0: on the show. We
3: did it, guys. We did
0: it. <laughs> Hi, Jesse
2: Armstrong. I know you're listening.
0: (laughs) Love your stuff. Why don't you come on the show? Big
2: fan. Big fan.
0: Folks should come and we're probably going to talk a little more on the supporter audio patreon.com slash prettymuchpop. So long. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Get more Pretty Much Pop at prettymuchpop.com. Get bonus content for every episode at patreon.com slash prettymuchpop. Pretty much pop is part of the Partially Examined Life podcast network and it's also presented by openculture.com.
3: Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks. Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's.